Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. Pull up a beanbag chair by the fireplace, get nice and cozy, and sit back and listen to the conversations as Tom Schneider used to say, as they fly through the air. A little bit later on, Joyce A. Nashawati will be here. I spoke with her while she was in Tokyo researching her second film. Uh, her first movie is called Blind Sun, set in Athens, Greece. It's a story of xenophobia and alienation, and we'll get to that in just a minute. First up, though, I want to introduce you to a guy called Jamie Kastner. Jamie Kastner is a documentary filmmaker who's just released a movie about a guy whose name might ring a bit of a bell if you were around 40 years ago and following the news. Ishmael Muslim Ali is an American convicted of murdering eight people on a Rockefeller owned golf course in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, after years of trying to get his conviction overturned, he took matters into his own hands, and this is probably what you will remember if you were watching the news, and hijacked an American's airline plane filled with passengers to Cuba on New Year's Eve 1984, and he got away with it. He's been living there ever since, and the thing that's interesting now is that Things have changed politically in Cuba, and it might not be as safe a haven for Ishmael Muslim Ali as it once was. Here's Jamie Kastner talking about his new film, The Skyjacker's Tale. How did you find the story? How did you uh, sort of get involved with this whole thing? Through my car mechanic. Really? Yeah. I uh, drive uh, an impractical old car, which requires frequent visits to the mechanic. Uh, luckily, uh, my my mechanic, uh, Chris, is a, is a kind of intellectual, politically-minded guy. And um, he said to me, oh, you do docs, right? I've got a buddy who goes down to Cuba and met this guy in a bar. The proverbial met this guy in a bar uh, story. And you must hear this every now and again from people, right? You you have to talk. I mean, you know, yeah. in, in journalism and the media, you just talk to talk to everybody and, and one in a million will have will have something that you can actually make uh, uh, make something out of. And this was that one. And the man's name is Ishmael Muslim Ali, uh, and he's an American convicted of murdering eight people uh, on a Rockefeller-owned golf course in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, as he's being taken to prison, he hijacks a plane, and he's very polite kind of about the, the whole thing. That's one of the things, when I watched the movie, I was taken by kind of how charming he is. He was known as, as a gentleman hijacker, yeah. and uh, he, it was a full uh, American Airlines flight uh, in 1984, and bound from St. Croix in the Virgin Islands to New York City, and everybody was hoping to, you know, get, get home in time for their parties and whatnot. He hijacks the plane an hour outside of New York. I meant to point out to him that it would have been more practical to do it earlier in the flight. But anyway, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you, you, you don't know how, how uh, to what extent you can joke around with a hijacker. He didn't strike me as a detail guy either. <laughs> like some of those things. Well, he took his chances as they, as they <laughs> came. And most would say he, did, he was fairly efficient yeah. at, at achieving his, uh, his goal. Um, nobody was harmed. They, you know, and the news stories of the time said, you know, people actually generally had, had a good time, you know, got to, at the time, there was no Americans traveling to Cuba. So it was a yeah. bit of a novelty. Obviously, you know, in many ways, it was traumatic for for many of the people on board. But but uh, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. It turned out it turned out fine in the end. That aspect of it. And so he's been living in Cuba now. And now that the trade sanctions and everything else have been lifted, that could change things. It was what one of the things that that got you interested in the story, or did that happen while I, you were 
on your way there. I was already kind of knee deep in it when, and who could have predicted it was, it was, you know, uh, history and, and geopolitical events helping the film, I suppose, not good for the film, not necessarily good for him, because of course it means uh, uh, he could be, he's, he's liable to be extradited or swapped as they've swapped spies uh, already. And how does he feel about the film now? Because frankly, this kind of shines a spotlight on him, you know, he's been living a fairly under the radar life down there for a long time. Now that he could be extradited, all of a sudden the Skyjacker's tale comes along and and you know reopens uh, those old wounds. Well, he was motivated indeed. He's been on the FBI's most wanted list for forty years and uh, and has not exactly been you know publishing his phone number. Uh, he uh, and yet uh, uh, at the Bloor Cinema opening night on the uh, tonight, I guess yeah. uh, uh, he is uh, he's going to be doing a video conference with the audience. <laughs> so this is definitely uh, a form of of detente, personal detente on his part. He he, uh, I think he's motivated to do it because as uh, as you know from seeing the film, the although he and his uh, four co-defendants, three of whom are still alive, were convicted of of this murder on the golf course. It's far from clear whether they did it and whether they received anything resembling a fair trial. So he is motivated to tell this story now in order to help these guys who have been rotting away in jail for 45 years. Yeah, and there's lots of talk of torture. You know, you you interview a former police man, a police person uh, from uh, from St. Croix, and, I mean, the rules were just simply different down there. The <laughs> to, FBI was mildly. involved. Yeah, the FBI was involved. The FBI kind of ran a, a fairly standard sort of look into this, I mean, playing by the rules. The local police didn't have to. And no. they, they used cattle prods and all that kind of thing. And and all the way along, though, it feels like everyone's like, oh, no, 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 those are old wives. They're like, no one, no one actually did that. And then the one guy speaks. And I won't give anything away. But, you know, he his personality seems to change during the course of the film. It was, this is, yes, the interview with, with one of the cops who, who uh, speaks frankly for the first time about what happened. And it was a remarkable interview. It was the second interview I did. He's actually in Puerto Rico now. And uh, at, at the beginning, and, and the, the kind of... Uh, he's not still a cop, is he's he? Not, he's a retired yeah. cop, and he was, I think he worked with the DEA and had a long career in law enforcement. He is one tough dude. He yeah. looks kind of like Nick Nolte. Yeah, he does. And, yeah. uh, uh, the, uh, and maybe that's who will get to play him in the movie. <laughs> uh, uh, we are, in fact, working on a movie. But in any really? case, uh, the, um, he, he is, kind of has this dark night of the soul, and you see it happen on camera. It's almost yeah. like, because he, 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 did, he said he, he wanted to, to speak, but then by the time I got there, he had changed his mind. He gave me a completely different story, and then we just sort of circled each other like cat and mouse sort of thing for the next three, four hours, and you, he's, it's, it's eating away at him. He's, he's you know, betraying on a certain level his fellow cops by, by admitting what he does. But he he feels a greater obligation to to sort of truth and decency at this at at you know his more advanced age. Uh, uh, so it's it's it is quite. I fa- it was fascinating to experience and I think to watch also. Yeah. So this movie isn't just a portrait of a guy that did or may not have done something terrible and got away with it. This is a look at you know unlawful imprisonment. 
Possibly. It's, yeah. it's a look at it. It raises a lot of different questions. Yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, many many stories going on. You know, uh, it's it's a thriller. It's a, it's a hijacking story. It's it's there's a, a crime element. There's a courtroom drama. But I think the response that we've gotten so far, and my feeling about it as well, you know, again, unfortunately for the world, fortunately for the film, is that it has a lot of contemporary resonance yeah. with, you know, with the U.S. Cuba stuff happening, with Black Lives Matter, and what and what we see, you know, with with uh, uh, American authorities torturing their own citizens. You know, there's a lot of unfortunate uh, uh, resonance. What an interesting story. As Jamie Kastner talking about his film, The Skyjacker's Tale, check it out. It'll either be at a documentary theater near you soon, or you'll be able to find it on VOD soon enough. So keep your eye open for it. It's really well worth a look. Joyce A. Natawashi's film, Blind Son, takes place in Athens. She grew up partially there, partially in Beirut, all over the place. Uh, she is a fascinating person. I spoke with her on the line from Tokyo, where she's researching her second film. But we talked about a lot of different things. We talk about Blind Son, and then we talk about how globalization has made it easier, in some cases, for filmmakers to get movies made. Here's Joyce A. Natawashi. You grew up partially in Athens. Uh, how did your time in Greece uh, influence this film, which is set in Greece? Um, it's actually, yeah, it was actually from the beginning um, really born in Greece. Um, sorry for, for my English. If it's that sometimes if it's hesitant, I might look for my words. Oh, that's <laughs> I really wanted uh, to make a film where mystery would take place in a Mediterranean setting. Um, at the time when I was writing it, I lived in Paris, and I think I also really missed um, something that was very personal in the Mediterranean setting, uh, the seaside and uh, the rocky mountains, and there was a mystery to it which I wanted to convey on screen. Uh, so I was really writing it with Greece in mind. And also at the time, um, I felt it hadn't been filmed a lot. Uh, so I thought it would be interesting as a kind of um, novelty, especially with genre codes. Um, so, yeah, it all started there. <laughs> and what did you find inspiration for the story and these characters? Um, that's... Um, that's always a tricky question because it comes from really many places. Um, the, f first, the first thing was an image, an atmosphere, more than, an, um, than the story. Um, it's a um, thing I often talk about in interviews, which is that uh, I was at a beach in, uh, one summer when I was there, and there was a fire um, in a mountain near the sea, um, and... There were so many trees burning that um, the whole beach was um, um, covered by a really, really red light, uh, which felt like um, like a kind of apocalyptic um, mood. Right. And um, I was really struck by the fact that everyone kept going about their holiday um, activities, like kids were playing and. People were eating ice cream, and, and at the same time, there was this catastrophe looming uh, over our heads. 
And at the same time, it was <clears throat> it created anxiety, but it was also beautiful. So that was like the first thing that made me want to set the film in this close to future world where Greece would be, because Greece is actually much more green than it looks in the film. So where Greece would have been already burnt in a way. And then um, the character is mainly something close to me um, because I, I'm, in a way, someone who traveled a lot and had to adapt to new environments because I'm, I'm not from Europe. So it's a mix of this atmosphere and something personal about being a foreigner that uh, created the story. Is that, I guess, where the, the feelings of you know, xenophobia and alienation and, and isolation in the characters and in the film come from? Um, yes, I think that's um, kind of personal, even though um, I wanted to treat them in a bit of an abstract way. This is why I make him very mysterious and didn't infuse him with a lot of personal details, like where exactly he comes from or... Um, where he grew up and what really happened that made him leave um, because I wanted the, the film to be at the level of yeah something a bit abstract and not um, not like it would be treated in a biographical film right. so I, I kind of erased some elements that could be more um, social related to him uh, I don't know if that's clear, but yeah. Uh, I think so. And, and did you choose a, a genre film or the, the format of a genre film? Uh, because you're making comments on things. It, it, it is, in some ways, a political film. I guess all stories are kind of political, but this is a political film on some levels, I think. And mm -hmm. I, I, I wonder why uh, the choice of genre. There aren't that many women making these kind of genre films, um, what was it for you that drew you to the, to the, to the genre? Well, that site is purely a pleasure. It's because as a film viewer, uh, since I was a kid, I always adored genre films and just watched loads of them and was really uh, very, very... And, and I would say genre in, the, in a very open sense, in the sense of uh, films which um, also play with... Um, it's two things. It's about that they're not um, um, totally subdued to realism, that they play with imaginary, with what cinema can do uh, with the imaginary, but also because they confront darkness, and I think also because they play with the spectator, like they're conscious there's a spectator in a way, and so they give and take things to him, which is kind of playful. So it's the mix of all that, and yeah, I, I always loved genre since a kid. I was a kid. Me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I, I think now uh, that, that cinema has never been more global than it is right now and you could be anywhere in the world and, and given the uh, technology that's available now I think filmmaking is more accessible to people than it ever has uh, before do you think that uh, your film is uh, uh, because we're, we're going to see it on a streaming service here called Shudder uh, mm -hmm. do you think that your mm -hmm. film is uh, is an example of that of the of the global nature of, of uh, film and the expanding nature of film 
Um, yeah, I think um, absolutely. Also because of the way of my path being very global, without it being a choice even. Um, yeah, it, because it's, um, it talks with the types of films which are not Greek usually. Um, it is made by someone who's Lebanese. Uh, we've produced it with the French productions. Uh, you're watching it in Canada. We're not now talking while I'm in Japan. I think it's, yeah, this is <laughs> the way things are today, and it's kind of exciting. And it's interesting that it's going against so many, um, like how politics are going the opposite way and closing things. Always forces that are not getting things closed. I think art, generally uh, speaking, uh, yeah. works in opposition to politics, or frequently does. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to yeah. be happening that way right now, anyway. Yeah. Uh, do, you, uh, do, you, do you think that it's easier now uh, for directors working outside the, of the country to be given a shot now, a bit working outside of Hollywood, I guess, to be given a shot now with streaming services that are all over uh, the place now? There's, there's more options and more places to show your movies? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it starts off um, even from the moment of production, like you said, because the means are more available. So being someone that's outside the circle of filmmaking or someone which isn't from a bourgeois background, um, like in a way, if you just adore filmmaking, uh, today is a great time to actually know you can make a film and it can be shown, absolutely. Mm. Are you living in Japan now, or are you just visiting? Um, I'm there. I'm researching for a next project. Oh. So I'm staying here to be like more familiar with the place uh, for a couple of months. Wow, so yeah. you really are working globally. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, it's not even voluntary. It's not... Um, like a posture, it just happens. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm following it <laughs> to see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. and, and what is the new film, can you say? Um, I can't say a lot yet, because right. the idea um, is um, uh, being, cause, because I'm in the middle of writing, but it's um, genre again, and maybe more scary. Um, it, I'm, I'm going deeper in, in scary. <laughs> well, it, it, and I mean, sort of more in an influenced Japanese horror kind of way, because there's a very specific kind of ghost story and thing that they tell. Um, yeah, I'm uh, absolutely being, um, like, not, uh, uh, sorry, I'm absolutely taking um, notice of their history of uh, filmmaking. Or films, um, and um, I'm trying. The main character is a, an outsider again, so yeah, it's a, like a dialogue between a main character who is um, half Japanese but doesn't know Japan and whatever he encounters here. Well, I think the idea of having an outsider in is, uh, is interesting because you can always have then um, the commentary. You bring the viewer in, yeah. who, generally speaking, probably going to be an outsider, or frequently will be an outsider to the story as well. And that way you've, you've got a, a doorway in for most people. Yes, and it's kind of a doorway which is uh, delicate, uh, especially with Japanese culture, which has been 
everyone has a kind of image of it, but it's often um, orientalized. Um, so I'm being really careful to um, to be as natural as possible with it and not um, put images that I already have over what I'm experiencing here. <laughs> Well, best of luck with it, yeah. and uh, thank you very much for taking a few minutes to speak with me. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it, and it must be early there. Is it early in the morning there? It's 12 hours different, right? So um, it's, it's nine, so it's, it's my first coffee. <laughs> so you've got a whole day in front of you. Well, please, it's like you're living in the yes. future because it's, it's uh, Tuesday night here, so you're yeah. already into Wednesday, so... Enjoy the future. I'm already into Wednesdays, <laughs> Wednesday, and everything is okay. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joyce. Thank you. That is Joyce A. Natawashi speaking to me from the future about her film Blind Sun and lots of other things. That's it, though. It's all done here at the House of Kraus. Time to board it up for another week. Put the beanbag chair back in the corner and put the glasses in the dishwasher. Uh, thanks to Joyce. Thanks to Jamie. Most of all, though, thanks to you for coming by. Wouldn't be the House of Kraus unless you were here. You know it. I know it. We all like to get together every Monday when we put up new episodes. Be sure to come back because you never know who's going to drop by the House of Kraus. It could be one of your favorite people. 